Greetings, and welcome to the third installment of the Padverb Podcast. I am your host, KMO. And on the Padverb Podcast, we explore the interplay between technology, creativity, and communication in the context of the wide-ranging trend toward decentralization, which is currently transforming many spheres of the economy and culture at large. In this episode of the podcast, we're going to take a look at the concept of the DAO, or the Decentralized Autonomous Organization. And I have to tell you, every time I heard somebody mention the DAO in the two conversations that you'll hear in this episode of the podcast, I thought, the DAO that can be named is not the eternal DAO. But that's not the DAO that we're talking about. Borrowing a few sentences here from an article on Cointelegraph.com, a decentralized autonomous organization, or DAO, is an entity with no central leadership. Decisions get made from the bottom up, governed by a community organized around a specific set of rules enforced on a blockchain. A DAO works without hierarchical management and can have a large number of purposes. Freelancer networks, where contracts pool their funds to pay for software subscriptions. Charitable organizations, where members approve donations, and venture capital firms owned by a group are all possible with these organizations. In the coming hour and change, you will hear first from Jimmy D, who is part of a group called The Uplift. The Uplift is an online world. It is a place where people gather together and build, and it uses the game Minecraft as a game engine, but there's more going on here than just a multiplayer Minecraft game. And in fact, the Uplift is now governed as a decentralized autonomous organization. And I won't steal any of Jimmy's thunder and explain why the Uplift chose to govern themselves as a DAO. But as you'll hear, his reasoning is very different from that of the second guest, Hannah Kirby, whose project Endowed.io is using a decentralized autonomous organization to manage vacation rental properties. Now, a DAO is not a magic wand. It doesn't eliminate all the problems that come from governing a large organization or a business. But they do have some distinct advantages, and that's what we'll hear about, starting with my first guest, Jimmy D. You are listening to the Padverb Podcast. I'm your host, KMO, and I'm speaking with Jimmy D in Osaka, Japan. And this is not the beginning of our conversation, but I'm going to ask Jimmy to recap the last 15 minutes in about three minutes. Uh, Jimmy, you were telling me how you came to be involved in crypto in general, or in blockchain projects in general. And it started with permaculture, and it involves uh, time spent in Hawaii and seeing people who are you know, native to Hawaii, or at least born in Hawaii, being priced out of their own home. Um, I would encourage you to just summarize that quickly. And then at the end, tell me what the uplift is and how uh, you're, you're in the process of creating a decentralized autonomous organization around this thing called the uplift. And if you mention somebody named Corey, take a moment and say who he is. <laughs> a journey of two decades from philosophy through ethics, uh, looking at environments, how to bring about change and support where we're coming from and, and where we're headed led me you know through an education field whereby i found permaculture in hawaii that was trying to create incentives for sustainable living if you don't know what permaculture is it's, it's basically a design science that looks at maximizing uh, the potential of the environment that we live in without doing with doing the minimum amount of damage creating a fully sustainable uh, ecosystem 
that will run on its own. Returning to Japan, I stumbled across permaculture and blockchain, and I saw a lot of value in the accountability aspects of having everything in an open public ledger. Through work with a variety of projects in the space, um, I started writing uh, and found myself working with a few different teams, but mostly teams that were trying to do something good in the space, whether it be creating open networks that run complex algorithmic computations to solve real-world problems, working for block producers to try to promote the benefit of open ledger systems that everyone can see and, and learn about, or most recently working, you know, the last year uh, with a phenomenal team uh, to create a metaverse that is on the blockchain built on Minecraft. So that's the uplift. The Uplift World was uh, found by my co-host on our channel, Corey Cottrell, and uh, a team of, you know, genius grinders, basically, decided in the end that this being the community initiative that it was uh, really needed to be handed back over in some sense to the community. Uh, so we've recently actually turned it into a DAO. Uh, we're in the process of uh, bringing that DAO into fruition. Uh, whereby each member of that DAO, defined by holding various tokens, uh, will have you know rights within the governance structure of the world that we've created. So when you say DAO, you're not talking about the DAO de Yang, you're talking about a distributed autonomous organization, DAO. What is that? Would you say more about what a DAO is and how the DAO that you're involved with uh, interacts with or is otherwise connected to this online space where people gather using Minecraft as a, a game engine? I think DAOs are interesting because everyone has their kind of own idea of how a DAO should work. I, I'd like to kind of parallel it to Marxism in a way. Now, a DAO is not Marxism, but like if you think about Marxism, everyone kind of has their own idea of how Marxism, right? You've got the people who believe that Marxism is socialism. You've got the people who believe that Marxism is communism. You've got the people that believe that Marxism is, you know, social democracy, like what happens in a lot of the countries in Europe that we love and we adore. DAOs are kind of similar, uh, but what a DAO is, is it's a decentralized autonomous organization that gives the community members who are part of that DAO power. Using open, transparent blockchain systems, it allows people to vote, it allows people to have their say, it allows people to see what's happening, you know, within the back end of the project that they're involved in. A really good way to think about it uh, would be the differentiation between how most companies work. Most companies are closed, they only let you see the information that you're allowed to see or that they want you to see. And the rest of it, uh, even if you're an employee, you probably don't know what goes on inside the boardroom. Now imagine if there was a giant boardroom where anyone could just walk up to the glass and see the people who were on the inside and they could press a little button that would also share all of the audio with anyone who wanted to see it. That's a DAO. Everyone can speak, everyone can have their say. Are we going to listen to you? Well, that's up to the DAO. If the majority decides yes, then yes. If the majority decides that you're a quack and, and, and you're talking, you know, complete and utter BS, then probably you're not going to get listened to. But what a DAO does is it allows everyone to have their say and everyone to have their vote, no matter how insane uh, or crazy it might be. 
that's essentially uh, the structure of what we're trying to create um, an open governance uh, system that can kind of hold even the majority stakeholders accountable. So Parker in the comments asks for other examples of DAOs. What are some uses to which this distributed autonomous organization structure can be applied? Yeah, so we're actually over at the Uplift world, which is a metaverse. You can go to the uplift.world um, and see everything that we're doing. We're actually moved to a registered Wyoming DAO. Now, a registered Wyoming DAO is an interesting concept. They were the first DAO in the United States uh, to be able to, in a sense, form an LLC that provides, you know, the ability for DAOs to be recognized as businesses. So there's a bunch of different crypto projects that are working into, you know, the formation of DAOs. We're personally using snapshot.org, um, which is the same thing as a lot of other projects are using. Um, you don't probably have to be a DAO to be in blockchain, but I don't know of any that are beyond. If you were to get examples of other projects that are doing it, the majority of my examples would be in, in, in the crypto and blockchain space. So yeah, sorry, the, the, that's very true. The DAO doesn't need to be an LLC. But what the DAO is, is usually a registered entity through some governmental organization. And it holds the trust of the people who are part of that DAO to be able to make decisions on its behalf uh, in a very similar way that the board of a major company would do. I think we're in the beginning phases of, of sussing this out. Uh, from a legal framework. And so I'm not 100% sure if I can actually even answer that question uh, properly, because there's so many different projects that are trying to define what a DAO would be, and I'm definitely not plugged into them all, if that makes sense. Well, in crypto in general, I mean, one, uh, one way to describe it is that lots of things which in the traditional world have been governed by human interactions are actually just encoded in software. And one of the, the upshots of that is that people say that like smart contracts, you know, they, they execute automatically. Uh, the code is law. You know, it is structured in such a way that it doesn't need to be administered by a human. It just administers itself. And this also allows for supposedly trustless interactions. Like you don't have to have a good opinion of the people that you're dealing with. You don't have to trust them. You just understand that the, the underlying software frameworks that you're using to collaborate with one another are structured in such a way that, you know, good behavior or at least uh, fair treatment is guaranteed. Now that breaks down, you know, because no software is perfect, but I think that's a guiding principle for some people, but the uplift, you know, given what I know of the, the flavor of the community, it doesn't seem like that would be a point that would be stressed, you know, of the, not needing to trust people. So one of the things that I think is really interesting about DAOs is that they add a human element on top of the blockchain structures that the majority of us in the space believe in, right? When you're looking at the code is law scenario, whereby everything is programmed into the base layer, it's great in terms of being able to see the accurate history of any decisions that were made by individuals or within the project. However, when it comes to governance, when it comes to this self-fulfilling prophecy of being able to guide a project or guide a group of people towards higher order thinking, 
um, as we become accustomed to in, in things like politics or other kind of community-led incentives, the code is law blockchain system kind of falls apart because there's no way for people to be able to plug their input or relay their concerns. Now, when you throw a DAO structure on top of the blockchain, what you have is the ability for people to be able to interact on a social level in a community or in an organization around the base level code that ensures the legitimacy of the project. So instead of having a bunch of people sitting in a room, making decisions, deciding what's going to happen next, and then going out and giving a press release of the things that they want to say, you have a bunch of people sitting in an open park where everyone gets to say what they want to say. And then at the end of the day, when they leave the park, they get to check this little box. And whichever box has the most checks, then the code gets implemented and that becomes the new standard. So I'm wondering what the difference is between a DAO or a distributed autonomous organization and a more traditional organization it could be a corporation or it could be, you know, a club. It could be a, a democratic organization of some kind. Like in a democracy, if you're going to vote on things, it's one person, one vote. If you're in a corporation, it's one voting share, one vote. And you're going to have, you know, the number of voting shares that you control is largely a matter of how much wealth you have. So it's more of an oligarchy. Uh, how How is representation distributed in a DAO? So I think that's a really key factor, right? Like it, it, it is more like a, a business um, than it is a national government, right? If, if you're a citizen of a country, you have the right to vote. In a business, if you're a stockholder or a shareholder, uh, you have the right to vote. But in order to become a stockholder or a shareholder, you probably have to be in a position to be respected enough to be able to buy into that company. Not just anyone can walk into a boardroom and say, hey, look, I want to, even if you have tons of money, there's probably some restrictions around it. Now, what a DAO does, it allows anyone who wants to become a part of that organization the ability to do so. I think the point that you bring up about you know majority shareholders, it's still existent in the world of DAOs, right? Because at least with the uplift, how it's structured is if you have one token, you have a say, right? Now, if you have one token and your say is complete and utter craziness, and nobody's going to listen to you, nobody's going to vote your way, then you know you might be not so happy with the structure. However, when we lay that again on top of the foundation of blockchain and transparency, we can see how those major token holders vote, which I don't think is usually the case when we look at real world corporate structures, right? What we see from the outside is, oh yes, uh, this proposal did not pass because somebody on the inside of the room or some politician on the inside of the committee blocked it. There's really no guarantee that we're ever gonna know who liked or who disliked it, right? Uh, politicians can say one thing, and then the minute they go into the room to make their deals, they could do a completely opposite thing. And nobody would really ever know, right? Uh, whereas I think the difference with the DAO is even though those majority stakeholders might be voting, it's all clearly transparent. Every single person who's in that community, whoever wants to know, can see the wallets, can see where these people are voting, can see you know what things they're supporting or what things they're turning down. Uh, which opens up a whole new avenue for questionability, 
right? If you don't like something that's happened or you don't agree uh, with the direction that, you know, certain shareholders or DAO token members have taken, then you can see and you have an avenue to complain or, you know, vent your frustrations or try to figure out a new path forward to create the system that you want to be a part of. So the the Uplift DAO came later after the implementation of, you know, the creation of the Uplift world. Uh, I have one NFT, which is basically a deed. It gives me the right to build on one plot on one Minecraft server in, in Uplift. But um, I was kind of tuned out when you all started the DAO. So I don't really understand how it is that, um, you know, people who use the Uplift can participate via the DAO. So the implementation of the DAO kind of came about because we just saw a necessity really to walk the talk. And it just made sense, right? You're, you're, you're op we're operating a metaverse that is a bunch of different people, a bunch of different projects are coming in and they all want to you know, see the way that it operates and the way that it works. And a lot of what happens within the metaverse and, and the structures of, of what we've created actually is community centric and community involved. Um, so it just kind of made sense to put it over to a DAO. And in doing so, what we actually did was we figured out ways to uh, drop DAO tokens to members of our organization, supporters of our organization before that. Now, ways in which we dropped the tokens to members of our organization was, in your case, uh, you have a piece of land, so you got a, a, a DAO token. Uh, we also have an in-game uh, economy token that allows for people to put up uh, picture installs and requisition other uh, services. And that token has an infinite supply, but every time it's used, it's burned. And the burning of those tokens also counted towards uh, the snapshot that gave out the DAO tokens. Now, of course, like I said, you get to be part of the DAO. Um, you get to have a say, you get to have a vote. Every token holder, DAO token holder uh, gets to do that. But there's a few other benefits of that as well. If you're a DAO token holder and you want to be a part of the overall structure, you have the option to be able to sit on a committee. We've got various committees from events committees to you know, rewards committees to marketing committees. So if you want to be involved, you can be involved. And you know, some of those hopefully uh, in time uh, will come with rewards you know, that come out of the overarching DAO organization and structure. So you could potentially have like a, a part-time job you know, if you do a good job and the committee heads uh, like you. And the other thing is these DAO tokens are kind of also going to act as a passport in a way, allowing for you to be able to come into the game and hang out. Uh, right now, how the organization is structured is you actually have to have land or be whitelisted to land to be able to come in and meander about the metaverse. Now, it's good in a way, but in another way, it's kind of problematic because if you have a friend who wants to come in and see the KMO plot, you know, that, that you built out, you basically have to whitelist them uh, or buy a passport for them. Now, in this case, what you could do is just send them a DAO token and they have free access to the whole metaverse and the whole world. So it's, it's, it's more like an access pass to both the public facing side of things and also the governance facing side of things in the uplifts case. It allows all sorts of little benefits to entice people to become more engaged with everything that is happening in the metaverse. So the uplift is, it's a virtual world and it's run using Minecraft is, is basically the, uh, the game engine that, that supports the world. And when I log in, you know, I just, I 
I log into Minecraft and I select multiplayer and, uh, you know, I have to select an older version of Minecraft because the, the uplift doesn't run on the most, most recent update. And uh, then basically I just enter into a 3D world. I mean, I'm not wearing VR goggles. It's, you know, through the window of my, my laptop screen here. But uh, I'm just, you know, running around building things and killing monsters and uh, harvesting crops and stuff. And I, I never come over and, and look at this sort of uh, accounting ledger type page, which is, you know, on the uplift.world. So this is all very new to me. What, <laughs> what is all this? I mean, right. what, what is all, the, all these numbers and, uh, you know, what, what is all of this, this ledger type stuff uh, on this web page that doesn't, you know, immediately or obviously connect to uh, swinging a, a diamond pickaxe and, and building things? So we have we have kind of like two sides uh, to our site, right? The first side will lead you to the game itself, which, which you kind of mentioned. Um, and then there's an interface that allows people to interact with the lands that they hold, uh, with whitelisting other players to their accounts, uh, with collecting Upliftium, which is our in-game token, for holding certain lands or, or being part of the metaverse, which they can use for picture installs and things like that. Now. When we're thinking about how to implement a DAO structure, there's tons of platforms across multiple different blockchains that allow for people to come in and vote. The one that we found that seems to be the most highly coveted is snapshot.org. Now, snapshot.org maintains DAOs for a variety of well-known projects. SushiSwap is on there. I'm trying to think of ones that like people would know, uh, but a variety of well-known projects are on there. And essentially, if you go to snapshot.org, you can see all of the projects, Uniswap, PancakeSwap, Curve Finance, and you can join these DAOs or you can click the join button. Now you won't be able to join the Uplift because we're not, we haven't distributed the tokens yet, but within that platform, once you go to the Uplift uh, DAO, now, as we're in the transition phase, the tokens haven't went out, but once you go to the Uplift DAO, then you will see the active proposals. And through that interface with your MetaMask, because this is based on Ethereum, you'll be able to vote on proposals with your DAO token. Uh, it will all kind of be automated in terms of how things are proposed and how things are voted upon. I just had a look at it and... Uh... You know, I have to say the the interfaces like when I was building the uh, the Geb Gallery in Uplift, I was trying to explain it to somebody, and he got pretty excited about it. You know, I'm 54; I was 53 at the time. He's 60, and uh, he wanted to be a part of it. And I tried to talk him through the process of getting started on the Uplift, and we went round and round for about an hour and eventually just gave up. I, I couldn't talk him through it. And it wasn't any, you know, when I got started, I didn't do it by myself. I had to be talked through it. So the interfaces are, you know, from the perspective of a, a non-coder, um, from my perspective, not ready for prime time. Uh, and it's not just the uplift. I mean, just crypto in general, you know, DEXs, different, uh, different exchanges, the, the way you you have to link wallets and move things around, it's not very intuitive. It's not very smooth. And most importantly, it's not very forgiving. Money can just go poof and no longer exist because you hit the wrong button on screen, you know, or you, you clicked things in the wrong order or whatever. 
And I wonder, you know, how quickly you see that changing so that, you know, that this whole world is more accessible to people with just a general knowledge of how to use computers and how to navigate around on the internet. Yeah, so I think in the Uplift World's case that there's a couple problems. Uh, one is that we're using Minecraft as a base layer and it's Minecraft Java. So we have to go through the Microsoft process of getting people hooked up to that. The second is in order to access the world, you have to have those NFTs, which involves creating a dedicated blockchain cryptocurrency account so that you can have those NFTs. So there's a two, two hurdles there, depending upon who you are. Now, why did we choose Wax? Well, we chose Wax because Wax has uh, social logins. What is Wax? Wax is a blockchain that is essentially built for gaming. And one of the key selling points for Wax was the ability for them to create a wallet that allows users to use a, a, a social login like you would for any other you know, internet platform. So you can log in with your Google account, you can log in with your Facebook account, you can log in with your Twitter account. And it's really quite simple for anyone to get started. Now, there's some problems around this uh, because, you know, it's, it's free accounts. And also a lot of diehard blockchain people will say, well, you don't own your own keys. Now, the Uplift World allows us as well to log in with Wombat, which is another wallet that allows for social logins. And they give the option that you could buy your private key. But for most people, I don't think if you're just going to play a game online, you really need to have passwords that are locked that are under key. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't. But as an entry level point, until you get used to it, it should be easy. So I sympathize with you. Um, I want to see more projects using social logins. I think that's really important when it comes to mass adoption. Like you said, it's super scary, right? Like I've done it. I've sent tokens to the wrong address on Ethereum, right? And, and you, you pay really high gas fees which is why we didn't choose Ethereum to launch the first iteration of, of the metaverse on. One of the nice things about Wax, it's an EOSIO blockchain. It's impossible for you to send tokens or assets to an address that does not exist. You can send it to the wrong address, but you can't send it to somewhere that it doesn't exist. On Ethereum, you actually can. Uh, you can send it off into the ether where nobody even owns or controls that address, which is quite an interesting dilemma. I think a lot of people, they want the security of knowing that if they mess up, they can call the bank and say, hey, look, I deposited this to the wrong account. Can you fix it? Uh, we can't really do that in the crypto space, right? You have to trust that like somebody will be nice and kind. So yeah, I think I'm hoping one of the, the things with the uplift anyway is once we get the community more involved, we're a small team of 10 people that has bootstrapped this. And we don't have the, the bandwidth, like as, as hard as we work, we don't have the bandwidth to solve all these problems, right? As you know, you're, you, you were uh, until recently a one-man team and, and now you've got people that are helping you. It Just adding one more person like amplifies your ability to, to do what you're good at, right? And so with the uplift, like we're hoping the same thing. Once people start partaking in these committees, we will actually see people who aren't necessarily coming from a blockchain-based uh, background. 
that are coming from a Minecraft-based background. We'll, we'll see people who, you know, are coming into this from a blockchain base and they're like, I don't understand Minecraft. I don't understand the gaming. And so we'll have this group of, of people who will hopefully uh, help us determine the best way forward for new users in a safe way that doesn't involve going around and around and around in circles and getting super frustrated and then just leaving and going somewhere else, right? <laughs> like, but yeah, I, I, I think, like you said, it's an industry problem, uh, industry-wide, really. It's funny, I don't even think of uh, crypto as an industry. I mean, I know you certainly can frame it that way. I think of it more as, uh, you know, a universe or an ecosystem or just... Um, you know, a part of the, the online universe that you can wander into and is very unlike, you know, the, the more familiar publicly accessible places like social media platforms or your online banking page or, you know, your the place where you go to pay your cable bill or something. I mean, there's I, I have lots of criticisms of mainstream interface design and user experience online. But, you know, once you step into the crypto world, suddenly the Facebooks and the Bank of Americas of the world look like geniuses in terms of, you know, presenting information in a way which is accessible and meaningful to non-specialists. And in crypto, I, I think it's just because I think so many crypto organizations are, are like the one that you're working for. It's, it's a few people. Everybody's doing a lot of jobs. There's a to-do list, which you never reach the bottom of. And, you know, cleaning up the interface, it just doesn't rise to the top of anybody's to-do list. And uh, it's, it's a problem. <laughs> so, so my job, like specifically my job, what I do with the uplift, uh, other than other than podcasting, you know, which actually isn't even connected, it's kind of mine and Corey's show that we just kind of put on loan uh, to the organization. I, I'm the writer, essentially. I try to write about people's builds, but I also try to write about how people can get involved and how people can simplify the process in their own heads to get accounts. And it's interesting because even for me, when I first got involved, just getting that Microsoft Minecraft account was a little bit problematic. But there is a support system that works. There is like some kind of underlying structure that people are used to, like you said, when it comes to like, you know, major organizations and how they and how they um you know how they organize themselves. I, I live in Japan and one of my best friends, he builds websites. And he's working for this company that's a Japan-based company. And he's like, he's ridiculously frustrated because, you know, his coworkers will send him this and he can't find the tab that he's looking for because it doesn't make sense where they put it. He, he's like, why would they put it in the top right corner? That doesn't make any sense. It should be in the bottom left corner. That's where it is everywhere else. Right. And so it, it comes back to this kind of like cultural, um, you know, awareness, which always cracks me up because, you know, he's looking at it from American perspective. But I understand because every single time I have to interact with a Japanese website, it drives me absolutely insane because I can't find anything and it's frustrating. And like, I don't want to deal with it. Even if I'm using, you know, some translation software to be able to see it in English, I still can't flip and find it. And I'm in the blockchain space. Like I said, we built this on Wax because it's got a social login. It's semi easy for me to understand. But every single time I have to transact on Ethereum or learn a new blockchain or plug a new blockchain in, I get frustrated. And I'm in the space because they all do it differently. It all looks differently. It's all a different plugin, which I hope that in time we do it more effectively. 
but that site that you were on earlier that allowed you to link a new wallet from a new blockchain, we're hoping that this can become more of like a managerial account where we can set our own process for the time being where people can go in, they can connect various wallets from various blockchains and they can interact in the game ecosystem with the pickaxe without having to worry about all of the other stuff, right? Because I think that's what the majority of people do, right? Like you don't want to have to buy a new DVD player every time a different superhero brand comes out with, you know, their own videos, right? Oh, look, like DC, they're finally releasing their, 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 their DVDs. It's going to be great. I want to watch Batman. You know, you get the Batman DVD for Christmas, but you can't use it until Boxing Day because you need to go to the store to buy a DVD player that, that, you know, that plays uh, DC DVDs. And that's kind of where we are at the crypto space right now, right? We don't have the little plus sign on the back of the Interact card. You can't just go to a convenience store, plug your card in and get your money. You actually have to go to the actual bank of the blockchain you're interacting with to get it out. Like we're that dark ages when it comes to like mainstream technology and finance in the crypto space. So I'm hoping in time, this will all get ironed out. And honestly, if it doesn't, the industry might fail, right? Like if we can't make it simple to common users to be able to get their money and they have to store hundreds of different private keys from thousands of different blockchains because we're expanding the ecosystem, it's not workable. It's not going to work. People aren't going to use it, right? So I want to address this, uh, uh, a comment of, of Parker's. He said, joining a committee in general does not really sound exciting. Um, and that's okay. You don't have to be a part of a committee, right? Um, we're not We're not Australia. Uh, we're not forcing you to vote. <laughs> we're not forcing you to interact and engage, right? Uh, if you want to have a say, you can. If you want to participate in a committee and potentially be rewarded in other ways, you can. Uh, but you don't have to. Having sat on DAX and DAOs in the past, I understand that it's just not for everyone. Uh, however, one of the other things that I didn't mention about holding those DAO tokens is it actually uh, gives you revenue share. So any of the revenue that comes into the uplift, that'll be split across all of the people who are DAO token holders, which is a really interesting way to think about it and frame it. I recently came across, we're going to have them on our show, another DAO, which is, I guess you would say, 0x0. One of the really interesting projects that even surprised me was a PFP project, uh, basically a, a project where you could download and create a custom avatar called a, a board ape. And this project went to the moon. Everyone wanted one. They're selling for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Like it, it set this notion that just creating a simple piece of art could change your wealth. But really, I think what's the most empowering about it is the fact that anyone who owns one of those board apes, they own the IP rights to it. So they can create a brand around it. They can put it on a t-shirt. They can create a, a restaurant and use it as their uh, mascot. That's kind of the key feature. Now, one of the projects that's connected to them is this OXO DAO. And this OXO DAO, it's a, it's a DAO, but it's a music label. And anyone who owns any of their assets becomes a DAO token holder. And, you know, that gives the ability for governance. It gives the ability for revenue share. It gives the ability for profit taking, right? I think that's what's exciting to me. Not necessarily sitting on a committee and defining where the project's going to go, 
But just being able to have your voice and get a little bit of kickback from the project that you're invested in, right? I mean, it's a completely different scenario than going to a nine to five job and getting a paycheck. What happens if you went to a nine to five job and you got to walk into an office and tell your boss what you thought every day and not get fired? What happens if you got to walk into an office and, and, and leave a little slip of paper you know, on the desk that says, this is what I think we should do. And every other single person in the company got to vote on that. What happens if that idea comes to fruition, the company makes hundreds of millions of dollars and you get a profit share because you're a small part of that company. These are things that are not available to general common level employees. And I think DAO structures change that. You know, you got into blockchain when I ask you to sort of summarize your journey, you started off talking about permaculture and then you moved into like in, indigenous rights and um, uh, philanthropy. And you know, there's obviously a lot of idealism that finds its focus in the blockchain, but there's also a lot of greed and deception and scammy behavior. And uh, I wonder what your experience is with that and, and if any realizations or insights have occurred to you as, you know, when contrasting the, the high idealism that I see around the uplift with the just like recently, I've been getting messages on Telegram saying, hey, I'm a member of the, uh, the uplift chat. Are you making any money off this platform? Is it legit? And, you know, clearly if somebody's saying that, they have no idea what the uplift even is. You know, they just know it's supposedly related to crypto. So here's this scam script that they're going to run on me. And, you know, I've gotten multiple people running this the exact same, like opening lines as they're contacting me on Telegram in the last 24 hours. I've gotten multiple people approaching me with the exact same scam script. And it starts with, you know, is the uplift, are, are you making money off the uplift platform? So I, I know, you know, you're encountering and you're working with idealistic people, but because this is the crypto space, you're also inevitably always going to be bumping up against the scammers and the predators and the people trying to game the system. And I just wonder what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, and there's a lot of like, even the projects who are building in the ecosystem, sometimes I'm not even sure. Though. So, I mean... There's a lot of projects that say that they're going to deliver something and they never do. And there's a lot of speculation and there's, you know, a lot of things that happen in the space that like can turn you off. Even me, you've got these scammers who are coming out and trying to help you. Um, that one's tough for me because it happens in the real world, right? Like it's happening in England right now. You've got this scam where people are calling up, you know, aging uh, elders and, and they're saying, um, you know, your grandson's in the hospital and he needs money. Like, can you send it? And then like they show up at a bank to get the money and they say, oh, where's my grandson? Well, he's in the hospital. We need the money, right? So I think preying on people is common uh, in the real world. We just are more susceptible to seeing it in the blockchain space because everything's open and anyone can contact you on Discord or Telegram or Twitter or pose uh, as, a, as a fake. When it comes to ideal, idealism and what we're trying to create, I mean, I think this goes back to the DAO structure and why we're doing it this way. It's because it's the only way that we can really see a path towards everybody seeing everything that we do 
and trusting that we're legit in what we say uh, as a project. I think that structure allows something that doesn't even exist in the real world. And I think once we get that structure fully implemented, of course, we can make backroom deals if we want. <laughs> we can go and we can talk to people and do whatever we want. But if we get caught doing that, that's the end of the project. So we have to find that balance between, you know, listening to the community and putting forth our best foot to be able to ensure the, the longevity of, of the project, right? Now, like if the community, you know, votes to essentially implode the project and destroy it, you know, potentially a bunch of us could could outvote them. And I think that's necessary for a business to run, right? Um, but it will all be transparent and on-chain. How do you know that we're legit? I mean, follow the actions of the DAO. Uh, that's, that's all I can say. It might sound like a cop-out, but it's really not, right? Like the whole reason we're doing this in this way is so that people can see that we're not just a project releasing things for money, that we're actually putting value into this ecosystem, right? I mean, you, you can all figure out my blockchain address, my account. Uh, go plug into it. I've gotten zero money for this for the last how many months, right? <laughs> like we're not doing this for the money. We're not trying to, to take the money. We're just trying to keep the project on its feet and, and deliver, you know, what people love about it. Um, in terms of the industry and scammers, I mean, I think this is something that you could relate to, but we're essentially in the dot-com bubble uh, era of, of this blockchain and, and cryptocurrency and 95% of these projects are going to fail. And I would say there's a certain small percent of these projects that aren't even intending uh, to succeed. They're just here for a quick payoff. And, and this just happens to be our dot-com bubble. In my opinion, I could be very wrong, but that's the way that I see it. Well, I just read a piece by Corey Doctorow talking about how, um, you know, the big VC chain or the big venture capital firm, uh, Andreessen Horowitz, they have recently changed their name to A16Z. And uh, they are openly investing in ventures which have no long-term prospects whatsoever. You know, and this is a, a very legit mainstream, like headline venture, you know, Silicon Valley venture capital firm. And they're backing, you know, nonsense, like cryptocurrency tokens that are uh, masquerading as carbon offset credits, you know, with this, this new project called Carbon Flow from uh, Andy Newman, the guy who got paid $1.7 billion to just step down from the board of WeWork because he was such a toxic element. They, they gave him a billion and a half dollars to go away. You know, and this guy, his, his new project is a blockchain-based carbon offset scheme, which, you know, that's, that's going to be a multi-billion dollar, not just a boondoggle, but, you know, it's, it's grift from the get-go. There's, I, I can't see how anybody, you know, can look at this guy's track record and look at like the, the history of carbon offset trading and then think that you're going to mix in blockchain and cryptocurrency and it's going to be anything other than just an, an elaborate facade, you know, behind which people will be stealing money. I think you bring up a couple of really interesting points, right? Like, and, and, and so like when it comes to idealism, I might be guilty right? as well, right? Like, I mean permaculture blockchain environmentalism nothing you know nothing messes with my internal values more than walking into a walmart or costco and seeing you know uh, grass-fed chicken or free-range chicken knowing full well that there's a little hole in the wall with a five by five in a barn that hosts like hundreds of thousands of chickens that most of them will never actually get out of but because of that little hole that little loophole 
that little loophole. They're allowed to, right, you know, put that right, put put that mark on, on their marketing. Well, I mean, if the chicken really wants to, it can get outside. No, it can't, right? Uh, like organic, I, granted, it's another good one, right? Like, like you know, organic soy uh, is great. I mean, organic soy is one of the worst possible things you can do for the environment. Not because there's chemicals, not because there's pesticides, but because people don't understand the problem is the monoculture, right? And so this, you know, destroys the, the ecosystem. Um, now, when we get to blockchain and cryptocurrency, what excites me about that is the ability to have it open and transparent. And so I would like to think that this is, you know, where my ideals lie and I'm going to try to work for projects that, that do that. Um, that said, there's so much vaporware in this space, right? Like whether it comes to uh, projects just releasing, you know, uh, pictures or images or not delivering on promises. One of our, you know, core tenants at the uplift is, you know, it's okay to fail, right? Like it's okay to change our minds. Uh, because that's what we're doing as developers. But we're, we're, we're failing and we're changing our minds because we're, we're pushing boundaries and we're trying to give back as much as we can to the community. Whether people see it or not, um, you know, is, is up to us to kind of prove. And I hope that we're doing that. Well, hey, Jimmy, we should wrap it up. But uh, I've enjoyed our conversation and I will send you a link when the podcast is available. Yeah, me too, man. Like, thanks for coming. Like, thanks for having me. And and like, like, please do come back. And like anyone who's in the comments, um, anyone who's in the comments or anyone who's listening to this back, especially if you're a cynic on blockchain or you're getting into it and you don't really understand it, I'd more than be ecstatic to host you on our channel and walk through it with newbies. I mean, we could even bring you along KMO and, you know, have kind of, this conversation about, you know, why it's difficult to get into, what the problems of the industry are, why people are freaked out. Like, I'd love to explore these ideas more, right? I don't want to be the idealist that says, no, you have to get in. No, you have to become a part of this. This is the future. I want to figure out a way to build a future that the people who are a little bit unsure of it can be, you know, excited about, right? I don't want you to be excited because I'm here talking. I want you to be excited because you understand the potential and the possibilities. And if you don't, that's my problem. I need to figure out a way to relay that excitement and, and that, you know, yearning to create a better world through it. So, but thank you so much, Camo. Uh, it's always uh, interesting to uh, sit down with people like you. All right. Thank you much. That was Jimmy D of The Uplift, and you can find out more about that project at theuplift.world. Jimmy D was a pretty idealistic sort of person, and uh, his take on you know, the usefulness of a DAO is not the only take, obviously. And to give us uh, a contrasting perspective, I have Hannah Kirby on the line from, where did you say you were in North Carolina? Hillsboro. Hillsboro. And where is that in relation to, say, uh, the, the big cities that most folks might have heard of, like uh, Rollum, Durham? It's west of Raleigh and just north of Chapel Hill. Okay. So we can pretty much throw a rock at Chapel Hill. Gotcha. Gotcha. I know just where that small, is. Very small town. So in non-technical terms, just for a general audience, uh, would you describe what you do for a living? Well, right now we're forming a DAO. Mm-hmm. The objective of the DAO is to basically buy, sell, and rent vacation properties. 
Well, let's talk about that in more detail in a moment. But before you got into uh, using blockchain for your career, what were you doing? Um, I, I, I do valuations for commercial real estate. And so technically speaking, I, I do financial models mm-hmm. uh, for real estate development. And we do what's called risk parity modeling, where we we determine what capital stack makes sense for what development. So if you look at like a shopping center, potentially some multi, you know, like mixed use multifamily where you've got a mixture of retail space, um, apartment space, some industrial space potentially. And we go in with the developers to determine what the capital stack should be for that. What what is a capital stack? I'm not familiar with that terminology. Okay, capital stack is your is is basically the debt to equity ratios. Mm-hmm. So three components really to a capital stack. One of them is rents, um, rents, equity, and debt. So it, with all three of those, there's a balance between how much rent you should charge based on you know based on a lot of different factors mostly market size market what the market will bear but also what the tenants can afford and how that is how that channels into a return on equity to the equity investors so how much equity you should have compared to how much debt so it's a percentage really so for instance um, you could have 70 percent debt and 30 percent equity and that might be your balance for, for the equity people to earn a significant return off of that development based on the rent that it can, mostly the rent that they can garner. Um, and and uh, so a lot goes into that, you know, kind of just a various different scenarios on and financial models, and they're all just spreadsheet-based financial models. So in layman's terms, would it be fair to say that you're collecting a lot of different data from different sources, uh, combining it into a single model, and then providing information to a real estate developer so that they can make informed decisions about how to deploy their capital? That's a really excellent way to describe it. I wish I described it. (laughs) Okay, well, (laughs) you're welcome to use that. (laughs) Yes, yes. And it translates well into, it starts to translate well into, into a dial development. So... The listeners will have just heard a lengthy segment uh, with somebody talking about DAOs or distributed autonomous organizations. But just for the sake of completeness, would you define a DAO? What is a DAO? Well, by by definition, it's a decentralized autonomous organization. But Mm -hmm. in real terms, what, what it really represents is the ability to utilize data to a state of autonomous data. So they're autonomous running of the organization. So for instance, if you're a data-driven organization, which we hope we are, is that you're, you're able to take a lot of different data points and make decisions based on those data points, but you, you're automating that. You're actually making that a software algorithm or in a, a machine-learned algorithm where you know as the data becomes more and more relevant, it, it starts to spit out it's, it starts to be more decision-making. So you're allowing the data to make the decisions rather than allowing people to make the decisions. And in a lot of organizations already do a certain, uh, quite a significant amount of this. If you look at big industrial or big retail organizations that use a lot of data points to determine their price per square foot or something like that of their store or, you know, how what what they're going to get, what their markdown can possibly be to still make a profit, things like that. They're already using a significant amount of data to make those decisions. 
And, and this is more or less moving that decision-making process into software that everybody that's part of the organization agrees that these decisions are going to be made by the software and not by the organizational structure. So there's no hierarchical structure that's determining, for instance, the budget for your next year, because based on the data that you analyzed, you should be able to know what that budget needs to be. It'll, it's going to tell you that. So, um, so a lot of things where now we look at a, a hierarchical structure of management, it pretty much makes that horizontal. And, and it's based, a lot of it is based on the original Bitcoin model. So Bitcoin is mined by a proof of work. So if somebody wants to mine a, a Bitcoin, they they pretty much have to prove that they can do answer the questions, answer the mathematical formulas that are necessary to be able to mine that coin. Likewise, in a, in a DAO, you'll have people that offer their level of expertise to the DAO itself. And you'll be able to prove that because basically that it's completely transparent because it operates on the blockchain. And so you won't have necessarily a structure where you're not exactly sure who's contributing. You'll know who's contributing to the DAO. You'll know exactly what work that they do contribute and what work that work is worth. And you can reward that work through tokenization. So you can automatically offer a reward to somebody's effort. Your project is called, it, it seems like it's a, a pun, it's called Endowed, and it's I-N-D-A-O-E-D, or just D? I, D. I should look at it. Yeah. Okay, yeah. In fact, the website is indaod.io, and you just mentioned the word tokenization, and everything that I've read about your project, uh, that word comes up very quickly and is very prominent. So if you would just spend a couple of minutes talking about tokenization, what it is, and why it's useful. Okay. There's a lot of tokenization of real estate being thrown around now. And essentially what, what that means is you're representing the asset as a token. So you're dividing the asset up into an individual token, into a lot of individual tokens, however many you determine it should be broken up to. But more importantly, I think tokenization allows you again to reward individuals within your organization monetarily because those tokens have a certain value. So if you look at our organization where the plan is to buy a collection of vacation real estate, that real estate will hold a value. So those tokens automatically are valued based on the value of the organization itself. And that has a monetary value. I mean, if you buy $50 million worth of real estate, you have $50 million in valuation automatically. So in my background being real estate valuation, that kind of plays, you know, plays more significantly into that. But with regard to that, you're, you're going to be able to present a token that represents a monetary value um, to individuals that contribute to your organization. So say for instance, somebody wants to buy a part of the real estate itself, they can buy the tokens you know, on the open market on OpenSea, 
or say, for instance, again, you want to be able to reward your um, contributors, whatever work value that they put in, whether it's programming, whether it is uh, financial management, some, you know, some work effort that's put in, you can also reward those people via a token. And in our instance, we, we are offering two types of tokens for a very significant reason that has to do with the um, SEC. Well, what are those two types? So the first type is a governance token. So these are the people that actually invest in the DAO itself. And investing in our DAO is basically a really pretty easy thing to do because you buy an NFT. Um, and that NFT will then transfer into what's called a, a governance token. And what that allows you to do is to vote on different things that the organization wants to do. Primarily, once the DAO becomes fully functional and its software is running a decision-making process, those decisions will float up into a, do we buy this piece of real estate? Do we buy the, well, out of these five pieces of real estate, which one do we buy? Do we buy, do we sell, do we hold? Uh, another significant area might be what vacation spots haven't we looked at and why, you know, kind of things where you put this out as a vote and you can have tens of thousands of people in the Dow by that time. And you put it out as a vote. Do we buy this piece of property? Yes, no. And then based on the vote of the owners, you, you buy it or you don't buy it. And it's as simple as that because all of the background decisions about that piece of real estate have been made by the algorithms. So you've got a governance token and what's the other type? The other token is a reward token. So people earn rewards in cyberspace by what's called staking their tokens. So people can earn, for instance, we plan on renting these properties. So by that, by virtue of that, there will be a, a profit that will come into the organization that is based on the difference between the you know rent and the expenses that will would normally represent profit in a normal um, let's say GPLP kind of relationship with real estate. But those people that have and, and it's an odd term to use, stake their tokens in our organization. So they're they're collecting those rewards. They'll collect the reward token, which is called a stay token. The and governance token is called a toshi, which is Japanese for land. So the stay tokens then are reward tokens that people earn by virtue of the fact that they've they've stayed with our organization, you know, and stake their tokens with our organization and not sold them on, the, on another market. And then they earn basically the rewards that pass through. And we make that determination about how, what the reward will be. And so then they can use those to stay in the properties. So it's think of it like frequent flyer miles. This is the same thing, except for that it's, it's moved into the cyber realm, which is tokenization. So you said that uh, staking seems like an odd concept. To me, staking, I'm, I'm quite familiar with it. I don't know what GPLP stands for. 
And GVLP is more or less a, a commercial real estate kind of terminology that has to do with general partners and limited partners. I see. And, and yeah, so in real estate investing as it is, to, uh, you know, outside of the blockchain, limited partners enter into a relationship with a general partner as equity partners. And because they've provided equity into it, they're expecting a certain return on that equity. And that usually is in the form of quarterly rent dividends and for the rent for the life of the project. We've modeled this after a commercial real estate type endeavor. However, we're moving it into the blockchain and by doing so we can offer $10 tokens for this real estate rather than $250,000 equity investments. So from the perspective of somebody who is just staying in a rental property or a vacation property owned and administered by your your DAO, uh, is their experience any different from, say, somebody who might have a timeshare or somebody who's just checking in through Airbnb? What's what's the user experience difference? There isn't any because we'll use Airbnb, we'll use um, you know Carvana, we'll use the, the various platforms, Expedia, whichever platform. We'll be on all the platforms. We'll also be sucking in data from all those platforms. And we'll be sucking in a lot more statistical data about the actual rental property itself. But from the user experience now, okay, if we take the user experience and move the user into uh, let, let's say the user is a crypto user right the user can pay for the vacation rental in ethereum or our tokens so that will be the difference from the user experience so basically we you will be able to pay for our vacation rentals in crypto as well as good old <laughs> good old us fiat currency yes <laughs> so i was poking around your discord channel and um, or your Discord server and various channels. And I, I didn't spend very much time there. And I, I sort of went back in time to look at your early discussions. And at the time, you know, the, the parts I was reading, you hadn't decided on a, a layer one yet. I, you didn't know which blockchain you were going to be using. Has that been decided? It hasn't yet. I, I'm not going to say that we have made that determination. And I'm not the person, I'm not the technical part of this. Obviously. Gotcha. Yeah. So um, I won't be involved in that discussion very much. <laughs> well, one one sort of uh, statement of ethos in the, the blockchain world is that software is law. Uh, and with, when you have a DAO, you're replacing human interactions, human decision-making processes, and to some extent, human judgment with automated processes. You know, things just run according to the, uh, you know, the software that describes how the DAO works. What's in your case, what's the advantage of removing some human decision-making from that process? That's a really good question that I, that we don't know yet. We think it has to do with the idea that we're going to manage properties throughout the world. In our case, we're hoping to get expertise from those different areas as data points that we can basically utilize then within smart contracts. I think anybody living in our, you know, technological age has had the experience of, say, calling customer support and talking to an AI, and it's asking you to choose between various options, none of which describe your issue. 
or you're in a situation where you're dealing with a human employee of a corporation, but that human employee has been given very little autonomy and they have a strict script that they have to, you know, roll by in, in doing their job. And it's just the options that they have available to them are not adequate for solving your problem. Uh, I can well imagine that the same thing would come up, you know, in in any structure where you're trying to formally describe the full extent of a human being's realm of action. And invariably, the software will come up short and there will be a time when, you know, human judgment and human a human's authority to step in and override the process would be necessary. Is that possible with a DAO or with your DAO? That's another really good question that we haven't even explored, but it's a really good one. I would say, we hope so. So say for instance, if you have a team of customer support people that have more autonomy to override the system, but also if you have the system that can discern the you know whether it has an intelligent answer within its context of software answers right you know and the other thing about you know the autonomy of the organization and the organization structure being so horizontal you can literally have tens of thousands of people within the organization at all times an interesting element that comes up i mean one thing that that you have in common or this this interview segment has in common with the previous one is the transparency angle. Uh, Jimmy was talking about how a DAO is sort of like a, a big corporation whose board meetings take place in a public park. Like everybody's contributions are uh, a basically public record. You know, they're on the blockchain, you can examine them. So there's less potential for backroom dealing or uh, unacknowledged motivations or, you know, pressures being brought to bear. Oh, in works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a, something called fractionalization. Like, suppose you've got $50 to invest and you want to invest in Amazon.com. Well, I just checked. Amazon shares are trading at about $121 right now. But you can go to the Cash App or you can go to a, a platform like Webull and you can buy $50 worth of Amazon share, you know, Amazon stock. Uh, you're, you're getting a fraction of it. You know, you're getting a fraction of uh, one share. Other, you don't know who owns the other fractions of that share. I mean, it sounds like the DAO is a legal entity which owns 100% of all the properties under its care. But I was wondering if there was any aspect of fractionalization involved in, you know, in your project. I mean, basically, the tokens are the fractionalization. Mm -hmm. The ownership of the real estate, however, because of current Securities and Exchange Commission rules, is owned by the DAO. Okay. Now, say the DAO has 10,000 members. It's theoretically owned by 10,000 members. But the tokens issued to them are not directly representative of their share of ownership. No. Okay. No, because there are there are many groups out there right now that are doing tokenized real estate where you could buy a certain share of that real estate and allegedly sell that on the secondary market, although there are don't seem to be any secondary markets for these <laughs> shares of a hundred dollar share of, you know, an apartment building. That one more or less lends itself to a group of people coming together who want a particular piece of property. And there, again, there's a lot of tokenization going on where, you know, it gets put on the blockchain, but it's not a DAO. Now, when you were talking about uh, fractionalized ownership, you, you said that those, uh, you know, 
partial ownership contracts or, or um, NFTs are allegedly or supposedly uh, available for resale on secondary markets. I noticed a bit of skepticism there. So because you put your tokens on the blockchain, does it necessarily mean that there is a secondary market for those to be traded? That That's a whole other financial part of this where you, you do have to create a market, but those do have to be determined to have value. And so to us, they have to have value beyond the underlying asset. Hmm. I'm not sure how that would work. How, how would the, um, the token have value that is not correlated to the, the value of the asset it represents? Well, initially it is directly correlated to that, but after time, it actually increases in value because the real estate increases in value, hopefully. And two, you're, re you're getting a revenue stream from that real estate, which increases the valuation of the overall, you know, initial investment. But then you're also getting these rewards that allow you free stays. So that give you like a certain point value where you could, you could cash that in for, for something of value. You know, you, I mean, you could literally cash that in for a stay on a vacation property. And so we're thinking that over time, all of this might evolve into, you know, a, a valuation that basically carries itself beyond the dollar valuation that it's representing. And that's, I think, with anything, I think that that's a pretty analogous. And I, as much as I hate to say this, because the Securities and Exchange Commission just isn't playing here yet, is that it's a lot like stock in a corporation, which trades at a value that's above actually the valuation of the organization that trades at in. So it's similar. You know, companies like uh, Coinbase, they complain that the SEC doesn't give them any concrete guidance. Uh, they only threaten to sue. <laughs> you know, Coinbase tries to play nice with the SEC and the SEC just doesn't seem to be interested. What's your take on the, the state of crypto regulation? The same. I think we agree entirely with what Coinbase is saying, you know, which is why we have this convoluted tokenization process where you get rewards instead of actual money. So the way it was put to us when we when we were started thinking about the DAO was that if we waited for the SEC, we would be behind the curve. So we may as well just jump out there, you know, and do this and then wait for the SEC to catch up. And I think if enough people do that, and I think enough people are doing that, that the SEC is going to have to come to terms with this. Right now, if it starts to regulate, it only knows how to regulate a centralized organization. It doesn't know how to regulate in a decentralized organization. So that whole process has to be developed. Now, is there any concern that you'll sink a lot of time and effort and resources into developing a model which the SEC eventually decides uh, is not copacetic and that they won't allow? Every day. Yeah. Um, good volume of discussion goes into exactly that. You know, how do we go down a path where we can eventually jump off into where, what is going to be regulated? That'll still work without having to obviously rewrite tens of thousands of lines of code. So how long has the endowed.io project been gestating and what's, what's your timeline for getting it up and running? We started in March. And um, we're raising money through the NFTs. And 
the tariff situation didn't help, but um, but at any rate, we're the the raise is planned for three million dollars, and then once we're there, we will have enough resources basically to, for software. We have we've been adding developers to the team, and we are not really looking at properties yet because we're not there. You know, we will buy a property or two outright without the background smart contracts format in process as the test platform then to 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 develop because it, the consensus with the development team is is to have an actual property operating because then we can we get real data from that it will be a wyoming dow which i think is pretty straightforward yeah the, the previous guest mentioned that that as well that structure yeah so um what other concerns do you have? I mean, what's, what are the big unresolved looming issues for your, your project right now? Um, you know, the, beyond the raise, probably not too many. We haven't really run into any roadblocks with regard to where we think the development needs to go, um, data sources. But right now, it's, it's, more or less, you know, it's more or less the raise. It's more or less the money. So you mentioned the uh, the Terra Luna disintegration and how that's not helping things out. What what effect did the collapse of UST have on your project? People that weren't um, already invested in you know in NFTs that were looking at our project as with potential, you know, backed off because that was a scary thing. Right. So just the generalized fear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, in all the market right now, I mean, basically everything that's going on, you know, right now has investors fearful. So it, I don't think it did any irreparable damage, but I, it definitely had people backing off. It's a lot to ingest for people that haven't been in space for a while. I mean, I think those of us that have been in space for five years or more understood exactly what happened with the Lunaterra and then realize that that's not indicative of blockchain as a whole. What is your involvement in uh, blockchain technology or cryptocurrencies outside of this DAO? Just some minor involvement. I mean, you know, some you know investment here and there. You know, uh, we've been we've been looking at MakerDAO for for a while um, because they seem to be be operating between the blockchain and non-blockchain entities very well you know so they've positioned that very well so we've been looking at that but yeah i mean it's more or less the same as as most people some some investment um some staking you know some uh, more or less looking at who might be the market makers and um so maker we we like super will be um, working with us you know uh, on this project because they are those guys <laughs> and so so you are looking for investors right now uh, other than just directing them to endowed again it's i n d a o d dot i o what should potential investors know about the project or what would suppose you're speaking to potential investors directly right now uh, take it away <laughs> okay well with the raise is three million dollars and it's a quarter ETH. So basically the price of ETH, I'm sorry, I haven't looked at it today, but it's probably around $2,000. So it's a $500 entry. So it's really, really low threshold to enter into the organization itself. Um, and again, we are forming the DAO. 
we are not, we, you know, we are a DAO in name right now. However, we're not operating as an autonomous organization. That is the development work that needs to be done with which, you know, investor money will produce that. We are looking at creating a collection of real estate in, in the 50 to $75 million range, ultimately with a return probably between eight and 12% ultimately. And, and it's a reward structure. <laughs> I think that anybody that is not in DAO or in blockchain or in crypto, I think that at least everyone should have some foothold right now to try to understand specifically how DAOs are operating and how and what level of transparency you get with a DAO versus investing in your Charles Schwab account. It's not as though people need to invest their life savings into this. Um, however, I think that if anybody's considering it, it, it it's a, you know it's worthwhile to see the process play itself out you know, between DAO formation to DAO, to operating DAO, and then how that basically moves into the future of how organizations are structured. Because I think all organizations are going to start to be structured this way. So right now, Ethereum is trading at $1,778.03, which is kind of painful because I bought some at over 2000 last summer. Yeah, so did I. Um, but so you say the minimum buy-in is one third of an ETH. So a third no, it's a of quarter. it's a quarter. Oh, a quarter. Okay. Yeah. So we're, we're looking at like $400 or something. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And yeah. And then basically there's a link to the open C account, you know, for the NFTs on the website. Yeah. So it, the thing that that gives the user is the vantage point of that transparency. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so the, the investors themselves, they will, you know, translate into the Toshi tokens and be able to watch how the DAO operates and, and, and primarily actually be on board in the, in the you know, these primary stages of, of putting together the DAO. Not only that, they get to have a voice in the decision-making process through the governance token and will be aware of every decision that's made. And I think that's a difference because I don't think anybody who has Google stock, I don't think Google asks them. <laughs> how they should how they should create their next their next smart contract or algorithm yeah. so but i mean it is a it's a fascinating thing i mean from anybody who's really interested in it i think that it's worth the initial investment just to see how the sausage is going to get made so we have a question in the chat and i think answering it is going to involve some repetition but in in topics as as complex and new as these repetition is is useful Static Warp asks, so the endowed, its only purpose is to provide a return on investment. What securities or services will be used to grow the funds and provide that return? So the properties themselves. So the, the objective is to create a collection of vacation properties in the 50 to $75 million range throughout the world. The revenue streams will be the rent at minus expenses of those properties themselves. So the property valuation going in, you know, the property valuation is it, the tokens are valued on the properties themselves. And then the reward stream 
is the revenue stream from those properties. So the ROI would be the combination of both of those things over time, which would be represented individually as two different tokens. So one would be the Toshi token that represents the property and then the state tokens that represent the rewards from those properties. And I'm using the terminology rewards similarly to a cash flow. So those tokens, these are fungible tokens. They have a cash value that you can exchange for dollars. They are pegged to the dollar. So we, we, you know, we will peg those to a dollar, a dollar valuation. Whether or not you can exchange them for a dollar a denomination today, that's where the SEC gets really lawsuity <laughs> about this. Um, because basically then you are a stock and you're not a FINRA broker and you're not a FINRA organization. And that's where you start trading a stock is when you say that that stock has a dollar denomination and that you could cash that stock in for your dollars. So right now, what we're saying is that the stay tokens are going to earn you points toward staying at, a, at the property. Okay. However, if there's a secondary market created for those, they could very well be traded against Ethereum. They could very well be traded against, you know, um, Bitcoin, Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. Basically, they could be coupled against any other denomination. So there could be a, a stay Bitcoin pair and you could take your Bitcoin to Kraken or Coinbase and exchange it for dollars. Exactly that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. But for us, we wouldn't be able to offer that. Not without the SEC having a serious issue with us. All right. Well, I think that's about all the time we have for this conversation, but I'd like to open it up to you just to make a final statement. I don't know that there's anything that, that we that we really haven't covered. I mean, we're you know, we're obviously excited about this possibility of creating an organization that is fully transparent, um, that does democratize real estate to, to a large extent and allows people to see how real estate works um, without spending hundreds of thousands of dollars. So, you know, this will be a very transparent real estate investment. And again, the uh, the asking area, the entry price is not that high, so it's not a huge risk. Yeah, it's not a huge risk because <laughs> the barrier to entry keeps going down. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. unfortunately. But yeah, unfortunately for, for Ethereum and those of us that are invested in Ethereum. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I do think that anybody that is considering entry into the space and that doesn't necessarily want a piece of NFT art. Right you know, and that wants to see how real estate works. Yeah, sign up. We'd love to have you. <laughs> there are a lot of people who look at a building and they see more concrete, tangible value than they see in a picture of a monkey. I think so. <laughs> okay. Well, those monkeys are awful cute. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Some of them are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Hannah Kirby, I've enjoyed our conversation. Thank you very much. Me as well. Thank you very much for having me. Take care. Bye-bye. You too. That was Hannah Kirby of Endowed.io. And before that, you heard from Jimmy D of TheUplift.world. I'm the host of this podcast. My name is KMO, but I'm not the entire team. Anna Haskell is the executive producer of this podcast. 
with assistance from Slava Borisov and Elena Voigt. The music that you heard on this podcast is by Slava Borisov. All right, this was a long one, so I won't talk a lot here at the end. I'll just encourage you to subscribe to the Padverb podcast, preferably through en.padverb.com. And if you like what you heard, please share the podcast, tell your friends. And if you or somebody you know is using the technology of the decentralized autonomous organization to perform some function that we didn't even touch on here in this episode of the podcast, well, of course, there's always more to be said. So let us know what you're doing. Let us know who we should talk to or what other related topics you would like to hear us cover or unrelated topics for that matter. You can reach me via email. My email address is kmo at padverb.com. All right, that is all for this episode. I will talk to you again in one week's time. Take care.